We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And initially, we were going to do a pod on our energy bigs, Thomas Bryant and Wendon Gabriel in particular. And we'll get to them for sure. But I can't get over the Western Conference standings, guys. Everyone's lost at least six games. You got 10 teams within, I think, two games of each other. Mike... I've never seen the West this deep into the season, right? The first 10 games or so, you always kind of have some wonky results, but Utah is still at the top, but they're only 12 and 7. Like, when was the last time a team with a 12 and 7 record was good enough to be the one seed? Everything's flipping from day to day. Portland, I think, is, you know, Portland has dropped significantly, but in terms of the the standings, right, they're down to the seventh seed when they were the one or two seed not too long ago. But they're still just a one and a half games back. So, Mike, this is crazy. Talk to me about the parity in the Western Conference. Yeah, total chaos right now. And, and only a couple of teams have either outperformed or underperformed their expectations ahead of the season to make it so. We knew that there was going to be a large group of, of those good but not great teams. Uh, but the two teams I, I referenced, you just mentioned one, or I, I was thinking of, you just mentioned one of them. Portland was in first, and then they lost three straight games, and now they're in eighth. And right. that is the difference, right? <laughs> so there's now, there is a full, there is just one game separating first and eighth uh, right now in the West. Then there's only two games separating first and 10th when you bring the Timberwolves into it, who are nine and eight. Then you have Golden State, who's eight and 10. Uh, and they're, they're an 11th. They're, th- they're three and a half games back of first, which like at this point of the year, usually if you see three and a half, it's almost like no, it's nothing, like almost literally For nothing sure. that that team could very well be in first place in like a month. You know, and then you have mm-hmm. the Lakers who were uh, who were just completely disastrously two and ten. They win three straight games, taking care of business against some um, some poor opponents and some opponents having some key players out. And all of a sudden, now the Lakers are three games back of the play-in, right? And kind of and still have a bunch of their the games on their schedule that will eventually after this after this difficult December, get a little bit, I don't even want to use the word easier because that kind of represents what the Western Conference is. Other than Houston, 
who's three and 14 and they don't have, they're like the one team that doesn't really have any vets other than Eric Gordon. And they're just throwing Mm -hmm. all of their young guys out there together. That's sort of the team that if you just play serious basketball against, then you can beat them most times. And then you have San Antonio who, who has just, you know, flipped the script from their first couple of games where they were out there having fun and running up and down and playing the Timberwolves three times. And they've lost nine of 10. Other than that, like OKC is pretty tricky now, Darius, with Shea Gilgis-Alexander playing at what I think is, I think it's a little aggressive to put him in MVP conversations, which some people have. His statistics have been there, uh, and he's mm-hmm. definitely really good. Uh, but, you know, so OKC 7-10. and 10, So it is, it is utter chaos. I'm just trying to contextualize it in the form of what do the Lakers have to do um, to sort of stay in this mix of at least 11 and probably 12 teams aside from them that are that are still pushing wins, even if we're now seeing Portland drop a bit and Utah drop a bit back down to earth from what their original star was. The musical chairs of the standings is a crazy thing to watch from night to night to night. The interesting thing to me, Mike, isn't just like the teams that we expected to be good, but are maybe like lingering further down in the standings, the Golden States of the world, or even some of the surprise teams that have been there from from the beginning, like the Jazz and like the conversations around, well, they've got all these picks. Why would they tank, actually? Like, why not try to improve their team and, and just sort of see what they got? And if they get to the 25 game mark and they're still over 500, which seems almost certain. I mean, they're 12 and seven right now. They yeah. have to lose six in a row to, to not be, yeah. Right, and so, or the 30-game mark, and they're, what, 20 and 10, or, you know, like, I don't know, 18 and 12, or something like that. At that point, it might be too late to tank. It might already be too late to tank. They got 12 wins, D, and if you're, like, tanking for a Wembenyama or something like that, like, yeah, yeah, it's probably too late. Well, so, well, but, well, 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 quick quick note on that one, though. The This is where, like, even in the Eastern Conference, right, you have Detroit and you have Charlotte. But Orlando, they're 5-13, and 13, but they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of young guys. Mm-hmm. Like They're going to be in that mix, but they're not bad. Everybody else up from there is all trying to win. And then in the West, like mm-hmm. you've got Houston and San Antonio, who I mentioned. But it's I don't think it's too early for any team uh, to go way down in the West. Even okay. with, like, with one key injury, all of a sudden you can be in the bottom six like pretty quick. Like lose four straight games, and, and, you're, and you're close to that mix. I, I just wanted that to stick fair. that in there. And they did flatten out the uh, the odds. What's it? The top four, top five in the lottery all have the same percentage odds. Uh, or, yes. or is it top four three? And, yeah, yeah. and then five and six, and then five and six are pretty close to that. It's you know it's like twelve percent right. and ten percent, eight percent, something like that. So that's fair. That's fair. They can get to you know sixth worst team, but tw- they're twelve and seven right now. It's gonna gonna take a quite a free fall. But I'm looking at so I'm on the standings page and I'm looking at teams last ten games and. Teams that sort of stand out to me, or the one team that stands out to me, is really the Kings. Like, mm-hmm. what's going on with the Kings? <laughs> They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They beat the Lakers in a game where we were sort of disgruntled about that idea of like, oh, this is a game the Lakers got to have. But suddenly the Kings are 6 in the conference or something like that. They're 8-2 in their last 10. Oh, yeah. So, see? They're 8-2 and two. They're eight and two in their last 10. They have the league's best offense. Right. They are deep. They've got a bunch of guys who can score the ball. I'm not sure about what their defense is, but if they're just going to outscore teams and play up and down style like they're an interesting group as, as well. So the, the, that's just another way of saying, Mike, that the West really does have all of these teams that on any given night 
they can beat you. And that might be good for the Lakers because it does keep the pack close by and Pete, you would sort of reference that Tour de France note a few pod, pods ago where it's just like, hey, mm-hmm. the pack's not too far in front of the, the Lakers anymore and they needed this stretch of three straight wins to sort of get back in shouting distance, but they're there now. They've got 10 losses, but most of these teams have six losses anyway and w- there's early enough in the season to say, ah, we're only three or four games back in the loss column. Like another good stretch two or three games from now can get them even closer to that pack or right in the middle of it, Mike. The somewhat dated reference that at least some young people will probably get here. I was thinking of Mario Kart and like right now, if you're in the West and you're in eighth place, you get one star. <laughs> <laughs> and boom, like you're uh-huh. you could be up to fourth in a minute, you know. And That's then right. if you're in first place and you get hit with that purple shell, that's right. You're dropping you're back. Falling back. You're dropping back Very to quickly. seventh quick. Yep. You know, so it's which <laughs> which is fun, frankly. Like it, it really is. Like it's it's uh it's every night in the league. And now the injuries guys become such a huge part of this. So Phoenix actually, and we'll get to them in the I think in the second half of the pod, right, Pete? They're so they mm-hmm. lose Chris Paul. And they have somehow managed to not have that impact them too much, where typically an injury like that, especially in this kind of a conference, would put a team in the bottom. Well, Portland, they lose Lillard again, and, you know, their their star is going to sink very quickly. And, you know, Memphis loses Ja, but Memphis just seems to be able to plug and play. Tyus Jones comes in, probably best backup point guard in the league. JJJ plays a game, looks great, then takes a game off. Uh, and, And they're still finding ways to win. I think that kind of speaks to their culture. But I wanted to hit on the Kings quick to, to set this to send this back to Pete. They beat the Lakers in a game that the Lakers should have won. Uh, the Lakers controlled most of that game. And, and then they've had a pretty good luck of games in terms of their opponent. And it's like it's kind of what Darius said. So their offense is definitely good enough to beat you on any given night. Their defense mm-hmm. is not good enough for me to take them as like a real serious team. But that's certainly a team that could make the playoffs just because their their offense is good enough to carry. They're all playing hard. They're a little bit like when we saw Utah early in the season defensively where like they're just sort mm-hmm. of trapping and being aggressive and teams aren't really sticking it to them with a game plan of, hey, give AD the ball 25 times straight, you know, against a bonus and whoever they want to bring help to. And you can basically get what you want. Uh, but it, anyway, so they beat Golden State after they beat the Lakers, a team that, you know, has been very up and down and was sitting a couple guys that night. Then they beat Brooklyn in that game where the Nets basically just were tired on their West Coast trip and just laid down um, and just didn't play. Their starters didn't play the second half. Their last two wins were like the Lakers against the, the uh, Spurs and the Pistons. So I think it'll come around eventually as if, they, if they're where they are in the standings, people will start to, to treat them a little bit more seriously and their defense will come into question. But that little six-game win streak was enough to take them from you know in the bottom couple of the standings to now number five. And, and that is a good way i think to just measure what the west has been Pete. very much so like when you look at the kings like i i see them similarly as to utah in that they don't have like they have several guys who are good like De'Aaron fox is a legit 23 to 25 point per game guy kevin herter demontis sabonis was an all-star like i he might not be your favorite center but he's a really good player harrison barnes is a good player i really like yeah, keegan murray yeah for sure, for sure. And but Sabonis will kick your ass on the boards too, right? Like he's he's a good player. He's not someone that's that's going to have that immense two-way value, but eventually you start adding up good players. You look over at Utah, same type of thing. It's like, oh, they got Lori Markinen and Mike Conley and Jordan. Yeah, suddenly Clarkson. there's nine NBA level rotation players, yeah. and you're just like, well, 
on any given night, if this other team only has six or seven sort of like plus players, you're going to win out on some of these lineup groupings where we've got five guys and you have three. Yeah, they they have too many good players to be a bad team. And I think that's true of both the Kings and the Jazz. Now, do I think that the Kings are a four or five seed? They're playing 600 basketball right now. No, I think they've got like Memphis, Atlanta and the Celtics coming up right now. So to speak to your point, Mike, like very different schedule than the one that they've had. That said, I think they're going to be a really good home team. Their fans are they've been buzzing about this team since the summer. And I think it's going to be the type of when Sacramento is good, their home crowd is a big part of that. And I think that that they will help fuel that. And so when I when I say that about the Sacramento Kings, they're like a 35 win team to me, 40 win team. That's their goal, right, is is a 40 win team. And that's not a bad team. And when you throw that in the mix of the rest of the West, when you expected a whole bunch of other teams, D, to be pretty good, now you've got another team in the mix that's like a 40 win team. It's like, yeah. damn, this is a, a crowded house. Well, this is what I'm saying, that on any given night, like the West is going to cannibalize itself in ways that are going to allow mm. a team like the Lakers, who we are hoping from our perspective, weren't going to be five and ten, but would be maybe eight and seven or or even six and nine or something like that. Right. Like, oh, hey, like the schedule's tough to start out, but can we grab a few more wins? And this is where. Like, OK, opening night at ring night was was tough. But like those lost those those two early season losses against the Clippers and the Blazers where the Lakers played well. And I feel like for their mental health, they needed those those wins to sort of propel them and they didn't get them. And that sort of spiraled them down there to start. zero and five. It's a different story if they start two and three and then over their next five games, they go two and three. And then over this last stretch they go three and two still, then it's just like, oh, okay, well, they are in the middle of that pack. But I think things are starting to come around for the Lakers. And I sort of hinted this in my game preview that will be up later today at Lakers.com. But the idea that this team is starting to find itself, Pete, and you had mentioned earlier, like this idea of, of TB and Wenyon. And I know that we'll have a much larger conversation about the front court, I think, particularly when LeBron actually comes back and how these guys all interplay together. But Mike mentioned injuries in terms of who is being taken away from teams. And the Lakers are still dealing with that with LeBron. But the return of TB and Dennis and TB, I think, in particular, because he comes back at more of a, a position of need than Dennis. I mean, Dennis's skill set was needed, but the team has so many guards that right. it's like you don't think of him as much as like this urgent player. But TB, his game represents urgency to me based off of his ability to race the floor and everything else that he's doing. So we talked about this some yes yesterday, but I'd love to get Mike's perspective, too, about this is things kick clicking into place a little bit, particularly with Thomas Bryant and and with Wenyon. And what are you seeing, Mike, with like the motor that these guys are playing with and the energy that it's giving the team? Because I think that can help fuel what the team is going to be over this next five to 10 game stretch. Yeah. So I want to get to Thomas by starting with Schroeder in a sense, because putting another guard into the mix of an already too small team that doesn't have a lot of wings and has JTA has been out the last couple. Of course, LeBron has been out. And it's just this mix of guys out there. A lot of times AD and basically like four guards. But they played against teams that were going super small the last week. Like within this within this context, teams that 
at times weren't even really playing a traditional big, uh, be, either because they had one injured in, in Detroit or San Antonio, or they're just skipping it in the rotation a certain amount. So it didn't really end up as, as in the games when the Lakers lost a team like the Clippers that just had guys taking jump shots over the top, you know, and where you could really see that size differential on the wing. So I think that if LeBron is healthy uh, and when LeBron comes back, then it normalizes some because then you have another big uh, wing playing type guy out there and you just can't play one of those guards, most likely Kendrick Nunn. You're still going to have some weird lineups where it's like Schroeder and Beverly and Russ, but at least in those small lineups, Beverly sizes up fine mm-hmm. and Russ physically can size up fine mm-hmm. and you're not that tiny even though it's three guards. But when you bring Thomas Bryan in, his presence, especially if he's playing next to Gabriel, just makes the whole team larger and and sort of makes up for that in a in different ways where I like the comment Darius made about running the floor. It, it's something we talked about on the broadcast. It's something the three of us have talked about where he's actually sprinting almost every single time and it's getting layups for the teams and it's getting a, yep. it's stopping layups on the other end and just stuff like that, that he does, let alone his touch has been pretty good when he's just, when he's caught the ball inside and he's big enough where he just can kind of turn and drop a little hook in uh, that, that to me has been really valuable. And I, to the point where I'm kind of thinking, all right, well, you get some of these bigger teams. How much more do you do? You just up his minutes and play him with AD a little bit more. And what do you sacrifice there? And maybe can he get to the point where his shot's coming back and then you're not sacrificing on offense much at all because he's actually spacing the floor some. But then, oh, wait, well, he's converting inside too. So I don't know. He's he's put all kinds mm-hmm. of thoughts into my mind about what this team could be. And for a player that's on a vet min, and this is, I think, why we like the signing in the offseason some, is that's that's great. Like, that's way above what that value level is. And I do think it can make a pretty good impact on the team. He's not on a vet min because of his talent. He's a good player. He just hasn't been available. And that was the problem earlier this season as well, right? And one of the paradoxes of a player type like his is that as you get further into the playoffs, guys like him will play less to the point of DNPs. But they're really helpful in getting you through the season. But if you're injury prone as that type of guy, it's like, yeah, you're really good, but you're the kind of guy we need to get us through 82. And, but you're not healthy enough to get us through 82 and then higher levels in the playoffs. It's harder to play you. That said, like you said, Mike, he, he puts a lot of thoughts into our, uh, into our head. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about TB and segue that into tonight's game against Phoenix. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we did a pod last season called Speed Chess, in which the main takeaway was Trudell's delight about finding out uh, about my chess nemesis as a child, Jonathan Goldfarb. But the point that I was trying to make in that pod was the thing that struck me from going to that tournament is there were two different tracks in terms of the tournament. There was the regular chess tournament, and then there was this smaller pool of players that would play speed chess, but it was separated. And when you play chess, you have a timer that has 10 to 15 minutes in like a regulated tournament. You have a timer that has like 10 to 15 minutes for each player. And so you think about your move, you hit the button, and it flips the timer over to your opponent. In a speed chess tournament, it's like one minute. And so it's wild to watch a speed chess game. And the point that I'm trying to make to tie it back to the Lakers is when you watch a speed chess game, it the strategy is fundamentally different. Like one of the main things that you do in that D is you want to put pressure on your opponent because speed degrades decision-making more than anything else. And so it's a much more aggressive style of chess where if the opponent had just a little more time to think about it, they'd counter this over-aggression with a move and, you know, get a peace advantage, right? But by pressuring them, you can cause them to crumble. That I think is the best version of what this Lakers team is, particularly when Russell Westbrook is on the floor. The idea of Thomas Bryant and Wenyan Gabriel simply hauling ass up court every single play. They run the court, like like Mike was saying, with TB, but Wenyan does this too. They do, they do that every single play, and it's so simple. But I'm, I'm looking at Phoenix's roster, D. They don't have a ton of athletes. They don't have a lot of guys that are like – now they're playing Josh Okoji and uh, uh, Ish Wainwright is getting some minutes too. They've kind of sized up a little bit recently. But overall, they've got a lot of skill guys, but they can't hang, I think, physically with that sort of pressure. And so the more I see this team and the more we have these supporting pieces that just like to run, 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 run – the more that allows, I think, our regular chess players, our our grandmasters of LeBron and AD, when we need to play that more conventional half-court game of regular chess, they can do that. Or if they want, they can join as part of the cavalry because they're two of the great all-time transition players. So just two of the great all-time players. It's kind of like like Goldfarb and Bobby Fischer. That's what I was thinking. That's of, like, right. Two, two of the, the all-time greats. Okay. <laughs> exactly, Mike. No, so. I have been playing a lot of chess lately. A f- couple years ago, when the Queen's Gambit came out and we were all in lockdown pandemic mode, right, where all we could do was sit at home and watch TV, I uh, got into watching the Queen's Gambit and then I started to play more chess. I'd played a little bit as a kid, but was terrible. And so I started to, to play more. And so the version of chess that you're talking about, Pete, in terms of speed chess, they call it bullet, right? Because it, it, oh, it nice. is. It's very fast. And you play like... Like and there's like even hyper bullet games where it's like a 30 second clock and the ability to move quickly is super important. But the aggressiveness of that style and the risk that you take in those games Mm -hmm. is super high because the ability to counter that risk 
and play appropriate defense against that that risk simply is not there but when you're an when you're an elite elite player and you're playing one one minute chess you're the lebron james one of the things that we talked about that we talk about a lot is the game slowing down for you and mm-hmm. and so let's get back to basketball talk for a second when the game slows down for you if you switch to that that bullet form of the game you can still process incredibly high and execute even when it feels like the game around you is moving too quickly and you can basically point out the flaw in the approach of the other player based off the idea that like you see it happening because your processing time is so much better right and Mm -hmm. so i agree with what you're saying in terms of the lakers there is a there's a balance, and I don't know how delicate or it is or isn't, Mike, but AD has spoken about it some after the game. And there's this push and pull between the team of playing fast and playing with spirit while also playing with poise and playing smart and, mm-hmm. and understanding the situations the best. There's this natural inclination, I think, to take any comment about speed and fast and recklessness as like subtweets towards Russell Westbrook or something, right? And on some levels, maybe that that is the case. But in the big picture, you need what Russ does, I think, to optimize a player like Thomas Bryant or Wenyan Gabriel. You want that shot creation. There was a great Lakers video that just went out on their social channels and 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 up on their YouTube about the connection between Russ and Thomas Bryant. And a lot of that is this kinship and this flow that they have together between like, hey, like we're running fast together, right? Like there was that great shovel pass that Russ had. You know how good a hands you got to be as a seven footer, as a guy Thomas Bryant's size to catch that pass in close quarters. And Russ did this brilliant thing at the end of that where he veered slightly away just to improve the passing angle a little bit. But you're hauling ass as a seven footer and you got to catch and one, two and lay it up. I think with his left hand, left how he hand. finished that, that's such a high level big man play. And so, Mike, this is where I'm interested in when LeBron comes back, because I think LeBron is going to need to be the bridge player between all of these ideas. Mm. AD has been that, but it's more so been, all right, slow the damn game down now and give me the ball in the post and I will be I will be the bridge between these two opposite styles, right? And AD can run and he can do all of this too, but LeBron is the guy who can be both. He can be the ball handler playing fast. He can be the ball handler playing slow. And he can be the finisher who is playing fast or slow. And so he is the one player who can occupy both worlds and he Mm -hmm. is in the middle of that Venn diagram. And I'm super interested in seeing how he how he comes back and what his decision-making process is because Darwin has talked a lot about that as well. Like LeBron sees what's going on. He's smart enough to adjust. And so in thinking about not only these ideas, but even the Suns game where I don't know if LeBron is going to play or not, he's questionable coming in, but just what are you seeing with, with all of this and how it relates back to Wenyon and TB and then the best version of what the Lakers can actually be? Yeah, I'm still mostly focused on Anthony Davis here. And of course, when LeBron comes back, how he plays will impact that some. But LeBron can control that too. 
And there's a certain amount of that where you just have to, you know, trust that LeBron's going to know the best way to push that forward. But I'm curious with this Phoenix matchup, um, and it is different for Anthony Davis than the last three have been, just given what the personnel has been. So, you know, Gorgie Jang was the starting center for the Spurs last game. It was Marvin Bagley for the Pistons. And before that, it was Nicholas Claxton who ended up leaving the game with an eye contusion uh, for Brooklyn. And then they were even smaller. And the fours that played next to those guys were small too. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the five. So I, I asked Anthony Davis and Darvin Ham a few different times over these last three. Okay. Yeah. But shouldn't it be the same way when you play teams that have that classic center? And DeAndre Ayton is a little different, like certainly offensively, he likes to, you know, catch the ball from 10 feet and turn around and take a shot. He's not, he's not really banging you that much, but he has at times been really impactful defensively, certainly against the Lakers and against Davis. This year he's been off just in general, but their team has still been solid. Uh, and it, it's been a little bit more kind of Devin Booker attitude and that playing out to some role players like Tory Craig's and, uh, and on and on down the line campaign who's who's been good again after having a tough year last season and it just kind of a fight They're, they've been more feisty um, I think than I imagined based on the way that they looked in the preseason and, and just how tough it was that they got smashed by Dallas on their home court and had Chris Paul yelling at them for a couple of years so they've they've I think earned some respect with how they've started this season and does Anthony Davis say yeah I just did this. I just went for 37, 38, and 30, and then 18, 16, and 18. And I'm going to do it again against this Suns team. I don't care who's on the court. And if that holds, then I think the level of overall optimism should raise also for what this team can be. If, if AD shows that he's not just you know banging on these teams that are clearly not capable of handling him at all to a Phoenix team that mm-hmm. is more capable certainly than those teams. Um, even if it's not Milwaukee, right, with Brooke Lopez and Giannis um, in that context. So that I'm very curious to see how that all ends up. And and that's going to be the main thing I'm watching tonight. I think that's a great thing to zero in on. Uh, Aiton's done a really good job on AD when AD has not attacked with the full spirit that he's capable of uh, in terms of on the ball. We talked a little bit the other day about AD's pension over the last couple of years to kind of settle for that step back or his, you know, jump shooting, contested jump shooting abilities as a first or second option without like really launching a primary attack toward the basket in the first place. And, but when AD's on, he is carving those dudes up. Even if he doesn't make that move to the basket, it's like a crossover or a hezzy or some type of on-ball move that DeAndre Ayton, as, as good as he is, that's not what he does defensively. And in that Dallas series, that was one of the ways they beat them. It was like, Hey, let's pull Aiton out onto the perimeter and guard Luca. Good luck. And that's just not, you know, a huge part of Aiton's game. And AD has that as a big man. That's how D, that's how he carves up the guys that he can't just be the eighth grader playing around fifth graders. And I'm just going to stand right next to the basket and get the rebound against these clearly overmatched people next to me. That said, I, I, I do want to point out that Aiton provides a, such a huge and disproportionate amount of Phoenix's size and physicality that beyond him, like 
AD had, we were texting uh, earlier, D, about when was the last time the Lakers beat Phoenix in the regular season. And I was like, hey, remember that game at the end of the 2021 season where AD capped it off with a, a lob from Caruso? He had a reverse, uh, but it was a good game. We were without LeBron and a couple guards, I think, at the time, too. But it was a really good win, and AD had like 40-something in that game. That's the last time we beat Phoenix. And to Mike's point of zeroing in on him, I think that's exactly how we will beat Phoenix if we do. Yeah, this is the thing about... Aiton and AD and so Aiton can hang on switches against a lot of guards. It's hard to hang on switches against Luka Doncic, right? Right. And so, but one of the things that AD does even against those bigs who can stay with guards is that bigs have a strategy against guards. They're like, oh, you're Mm -hmm. 6'2 or 6'3. I'm seven foot. I'm going to do what boxers do. I'm going to stay a little bit further away. You're not going to get into my body and into my space where you can maybe go around me. I'm going to keep you at the appropriate distance. I'm going to challenge your jump shot. You're going to try to drive on me. I'm going to keep giving space. By the time you're at the basket, you're going to try to shoot. And guess what? I'm still seven feet tall. What Anthony Davis does is he's just like, oh, that doesn't work against me. I'm your size. So if you lay off me, I'm going to eat that space up. And then when I challenge you in your chest. I'm going over the top of you. I'm the same size as you. Or I can go around you because I can hit all these contorting shots. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though, is that so then when you start to press up on him, then Mm -hmm. he's just like, oh, yeah, well, now look, here's that hezzy shake or here's that inside out crossover or here's that hard jab and then reverse pivot. And then now I'm at the basket and I'm dunking. Or I've slivered around you for a baseline layup and I'm using the basket as a shield. The thing that makes AD special as a scorer is he's got this immense bag, right? And and so like KD asked that before, like what makes a bag? Is it like the fact that you could just score or is it the fact that like you got all the moves? Well, AD's got a ton of moves. Who was it in this last game? The Spurs, the rookie, so head. And so he hit him with an inside out head, like he went hezzy, like inside out. And like Sohan sort of like stumbled, like, oh, damn. And AD got to his right hand and I think he might have hit a little runner. But it's just like that sort of fluidness at his size. I think I messaged right after that that basket, Pete, where I was just like, this is the most 2020 AD has looked in a Mm -hmm. while. This dude said to Darvin Ham, I got you, coach, and then went out and started doing this. It's, it's in him. It's in him, Mike. It's something that, like, when he's this guy, we're a different team. So I had set up my focus for what I was going to be watching in the game as more of a question. And after what you guys just said, I, I would just like to push all of my chips in on AD in this game. And, and I, like, there's a, couple of, there's a couple of context for it. The first thing that tripped me off to that was Pete talking about Phoenix's size. And, and I'm kind of, I was like, oh yeah, you know, that's a good point. Like they've been gritty and tough, but they can't handle AD if he's aggressive. No, they just can't. No. Aiden can't do it. Uh, no, they do play a guy that I like as a backup center in Jock Landale, um, who, you know, those real deep dive league pass folks might remember um, last year, uh, but like, it's a, it's not a team that uh, it's not a team that AD should be able, should have to have any kind of drop off, even though they have this more traditional size at the center spot from Aiden. It's just, he's got the different ways to attack that Darius. So it's much more of a mindset thing than it is. Oh yeah. Just pick on these little guys. It's, it's, it's about that level of aggression and, you know, liking how it feels to win games coming off with 30 points and, you know, 15 plus rebounds. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, this is a, a much better experience uh, post game, isn't it? Uh, also, Biombo, it looks like uh, at least in the last game, Biombo got the minutes over Landale in their win against the Knicks, and so he is more of that lengthy, defensive-minded center. So that said, he, he shouldn't be able to guard AD. One of the things, though, about this D, I think we have to be putting we. It's it's a two-man action thing. We talk about it so much from a one-on-one type of perspective, but Austin and Lonnie's ability to put pressure on those guys in ball screens. Like, if you overcommit to AD, I'm going to get all the way to the basket, or I'm going to hit this pull-up elbow jumper. All of the, the guards, even Russ's ability to get all the way to the rack, right? I think that's going to be really important. That's why, so so I wrote a bunch in the preview that that I mentioned earlier before, but there are things that I always want to add, but for length purposes, because they're already long, <laughs> I leave stuff out, right? And so uh-huh. a couple of the things that I would have hit if I was writing a 2,500 word preview, which is astronomically long, is, <laughs> is the idea of Lonnie Walker against who I think Mikhail Bridges is probably going to start on Walker, especially if LeBron does not play, right? And mm-hmm. how Walker deals with a defensive player, the caliber of Bridges, right? And with how size, important yeah. Walker has been in terms of his partnership with, with AD and that downhill threat and how that matters in terms of threatening the basket. And then I wanted to bring it back a little bit to the idea that we mentioned before about Bryant and Gabriel and playing with motor and how over the course of 48 minutes, if you have this version of Anthony Davis and then you have your backup bigs basically are two guys who play as hard as Bryant and Gabriel do and they want to basically just attack the rim, attack the rim, attack the rim. This is where even a team like the Suns, who are gritty and play hard and who have some capable size, even at their backup players, that those guys can be overwhelmed as well. Right. And and that idea of racing up and down the court against big dudes is a different idea. And now are the Lakers going to have to hold their own against Devin Booker and Bridges and maybe campaign? Yes, they are. And their perimeter defense is going to go under a stress test this game as well, Mike. But this interesting back and forth between like a guard heavy team with an anchor big who can try to defend the paint against a team that is going to try to bludgeon you inside, but whose defensive talent on the perimeter is going to try to put up a good fight against their best players. This is an interesting chess match between in a contrast of styles that that I'm going to see if how the Lakers match up and, and if this can propel them forward if they play well. And so first of all, Darius, that was a short version of the pregame story? <laughs> no, no, no. I was I'm saying, up. I'm oh, like, <laughs> okay. No, no, no. No, no, no. And I say, hold there on. No I, say this as a, I, I say this as a hypocrite. I say this as a hypocrite. I have written many, many a three things. Yeah, you're one on ones, keep, man. That just keep going on. Um, and, and it's because like, it. well, I've got this space. I want to get this thought out. So, but I've, I try to streamline them more um, now, but so I'm, I'm just messing around. Like all the information is good. So then I'll keep reading it. I'm, I'm cool. Now, I the thing that I think the most about in this game is just what the Lakers do with Booker uh, and this, the level up that he's taken and how much more of the offense that he has and it's done well by the way with Chris Paul out which I expect they haven't officially ruled him out today but I don't think anyone expects him to play so Booker he's one of those guys that they don't really have that great matchup for um, they don't have that wing mm-hmm. and 
I, so I'll instead of speculating, Pete, I'm sure you've already thought about this some, but can you give me a like 30 seconds on defending Booker? So Booker is the natural counter to our defense. To to your point, like what Booker does well is in the weak spots of what this style of defense runs. So Booker has the potential to be a real problem tonight. Now, in terms of who we have to to guard him, I think that that's going to be Pat Bev. He's been someone that that's been the matchup the last couple. When when they played in the conference finals a couple of years ago, when Phoenix went to the finals, Kawhi had gotten hurt in the series before, and Pat Bev I thought did a good job on Booker, and I thought they were solid in that series. They took him to six when without Kawhi, like yeah, it, uh, I thought he was okay at that. Now. I just quick thought on that. I agree with that, that he'll start on him. But then, you know, once Booker just sort of gets his first foul on an up fake, sure. you know, and then he gets oh, yeah. Beverly's second foul, like a second later, you know, then who's going to guard him? <laughs> it is going to be a group effort. Uh, I think this is a good test of Lonnie's defense, actually, because I've noticed the last couple of games, as good as he's been on offense, I've been less impressed with Lonnie than I was at the beginning of the season on the defensive end. But one of the things that he's done well, I've thought, is take on matchups like, hey, that's a legit dude across from you. That's CJ McCollum. That's Damian Lillard, right? And Dame got his, but a lot of them weren't on Lonnie. And then when they were on Lonnie at the end, they were Dame shots. It was like, you can't ask for anything more out of the defender. Just a great player hit a great shot. Um, but And so Lonnie has a degree of athleticism and size that Pat Bev doesn't have. And that to me is what what I think of tonight is like, give you got to throw multiple looks at Booker. And that's not just players, D, that's also coverages. Yeah, I just think that I, I want to see Anthony Davis up a little bit more too in pick and roll coverages yeah. at times. That's a minor adjustment that can be of import against a player like Booker. Now that then that would require some back end stuff. So maybe you play two big lineups if Aiton is hey, in the game. Let's impose There's, our size on him. That's exactly, uh, this is a great time to go too big. There's a variety of looks that they can send at Booker. I'll be interested to see how game planning tonight's game looks, right? Because honestly, Pete, they could throw Russ at Booker as well. Another 6'4 strong guard, right? Lonnie's size and athleticism will be useful. Troy Brown's got some size and some length that they could throw at Booker. The Lakers are going to have bodies that they can put on him. Booker's playing at such a level that it may not matter. Right. But Mm -hmm. that ability to stay fresh on him and give him different options and different sorts, sorts of guys. I think that has to be a part of the plan um, because he is their best player and keeping him down to like 25 or 27 points, but on worse efficiency than he's been shooting should be considered a Mm -hmm. win for them this game. And if they can then get it back with the offensive side with AD, then you're on to something. You know what I mean? So I'm very intrigued by what tonight's matchup can bring. And in a Western conference that's this tight in terms of the standings, every game is going to matter. And I am loving this. I, I love scoreboard watching on a night and being like, gosh, I hope on November 21st, the Knicks hold off OKC, right? Because they're the next team ahead of us in the standings. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm like standings watching for the 12th spot in November. But this is how we're going to do it. If we're going to do it, this is how we're going to do it. So uh, this is a lot of fun. Let's uh, let's see what the Lakers do against a better team tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here's Lonnie. Three seconds.
seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's, There's the move. Two. Score. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.